Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hi, Kate. Hey, Eva. I've been doing some word sleuthing. Oh, tell us more. Well, since we talk a lot about insurance, I got curious about the history of the word, and so I looked it up in an online etymology dictionary. Ooh, I love some etymology facts. What did you find? (laughs) I'm glad you share my pleasure in this pursuit. What I found were two early records of use, with the first being in the mid-15th century, uh, where there was the earlier variant of the word uh, I think it's ensuring or ensuron, meaning to assure and also to make secure, make safe. And so the, the particular commercial sense of the word that we're familiar with today came around in the mid-17th century, according to this one source where insured came to mean make safe against loss by payment. Mm. Yeah, that, the money. It's rolling in. Mm-hmm. It's that mid-17th mm-hmm. century. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this definition came around during the rise of uh, life insurance, which was actually made possible by the development of this risk analysis tool that was new at the time called the mortality table. And that table basically showed the rate of death within a specific population and so this ability to, to basically predict loss based on data uh, enabled insurance companies to provide coverage against that loss. And so we've seen that model be replicated across other industries. Yeah, so the concept of making safe against loss has a long and winding history that's really wrapped up into that, that one word that we say so often on this podcast, insurance. Wow. Yeah, I... Love the context for that. And I i mean, I just have so many questions now about like why payment eventually came into the, the calculation and this mortality table. And that's a whole other can of worms that we're not going to get into today. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that you bring this up because insurance as a concept is something that has generally just totally baffled me. So it's helpful to get a sense of how the idea and the word evolved over time. Um, And a question that I have now is, if insurance means to make safe against loss by payment, then I want to know what it means to make something safe and what qualifies as a loss. Yeah, absolutely. Great questions. Uh, And that's really what we're going to be discussing throughout our conversation, what insurance really covers, and part two, how to claim that coverage. So if you listeners have been around Farm Commons for a while, you know that we often are talking about insurance. And 
it's not that we love insurance. You know, it's not what we put on our wish list at the holiday time. It's really because it's a key risk management tool for all farm and ranch businesses. However, plot twist, this is our first time really decoding typical coverage terms that are used in crop and livestock insurance policies. And so we're going to, you know, pull the curtain open on what to expect and what to do when it's time to make a claim. Helping us to unearth all of this is our executive director and attorney, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hey, folks. Good to be here. I love this beginning. Etymology, such good stuff. Always teaches us something. And so, yeah, we are here to help you listeners figure out how to increase the chances that what you're paying for, you know, is going to make you safe against that loss. Um, you know, and the corollary to that is that you might understand why coverage could be denied too, because that does happen. Like the mortality table, it comes down to data. Yeah, for sure. And listeners, today we're going to share with you key questions to keep in mind for purchasing a policy and for when you need to make a claim, really focusing on that making a claim piece. And these guiding questions can also help you keep hold of your power to decide if a certain insurance policy is a good fit for you, uh, while also helping you manage your time wisely to get the claims that you're due and avoiding wasting effort filling paperwork out on a loss that isn't actually covered under the policy. I like it. Maybe we should start with some review, though. Yeah. We we have insurance for when things go wrong and we need compensation for that. And in the specific context of crop and livestock policies, the things that go wrong are, you know, your parade of pest infestations and disease and, and all of that good stuff. But let's talk about what that really means. What risks are actually covered by insurance policies? Because a lot of things can go wrong. If listeners have already bought a crop or livestock policy, what can they expect that policy to typically cover? Sure, sure. So it, it, generally what we're going to be covering here is um, under revenue insurance policies anyways, is the loss of approved revenue due to, and I'm holding up my finger quotes here, you can't see it, unavoidable natural causes. That's what's covered. You can think of these in that, that, that phrase that gets tossed around sometimes, acts of God. But again, I mean, what that really means, if we dig into, say, the whole farm revenue protection policy, including the microfarm option that we recently covered on this podcast, that's a federally subsidized crop insurance policy that, you know, as you might expect, covers you from um, the loss of crops and livestock on diversified farms. And it does cover unavoidable natural causes of loss. You know, when we think about what that might be, we're thinking about things like a late frost, you know, that damages, um, you know, your fruit crop or something like that. You know, it's just Mother Nature doing her thing and showing up a little late in the spring. But when we dig into that phrase, unavoidable natural causes, a little deeper, we do have to ask ourselves, was this unavoidable? I mean, it is, yes, um, when it, you know, when it's simply a late frost, but there's all sorts of things that farmers do to avoid losses that result from a late, late frost. Like, for example, high tunnels, low tunnels, spraying water on the crop using wind machines, heaters, cultivars, you know, that, that bloom later. So it's worth asking ourselves, okay, 
if we're talking about unavoidable natural causes, do you have to do those things? And if you don't, or if you can't, you don't have the resources, does that affect your claim under these policies? What do you need to document about what happened and what you did to avoid that? You know, do you have to wake up early that morning, take photos of all the frost? What if you wait to take photos until after the frost dissipates and, you know, you can witness the extent of of baby plant death all around you? What about temperature records, wind records, lots of stuff? Wow. Um, Yeah, I feel like I'm being lost in a (laughs) hurricane spiral of questions. And um, I imagine people might feel like that as well, but also be trying to answer those questions in the midst of a really stressful situation, like, you know, scene of baby, of baby plant death. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Exactly. There's, there's a lot here. And, um, you know, it goes back to what we we're saying at the beginning about the, the many layers of meaning that are wrapped up into the word insurance. As you might expect, if we're looking for answers, You know, on this podcast, we tend to look at paper and documentation. And indeed, you know, our policy, our insurance policy document does go into more detail when it describes what an unavoidable natural cause is. Um, It includes things like uh, adverse weather. So, you know, your light frost would fit into that. It also covers some incidences of fire, insect outbreaks, diseases, earthquake, volcano, the failure of your irrigation, wildlife predation, decline in market price even too for some policies. So that's a good list of unavoidable natural causes. But, you know, as we already mentioned, to to what extent are these natural causes unavoidable? You know, if we're talking about the biblical plague of locusts, we could avoid those through the use of, you know, pest controls, chemical, non-chemical, all sorts of things. Um, But depending on the type of insect it is, uh, they may or may not um, work. So what really is an unavoidable loss? Yeah, those practices that you mentioned before, Rachel, high tunnels, low tunnels, use of wind machines, etc. Are these practices that farmers are expected to use to control the damage in the case of frost and other acts of God? Well, let's say, yes, farmers are expected to take some control measures. Um, but the good news is that the policy uh, language is clear that, that taking control measures just means following recognized good farming practices for, for that commodity. Uh-oh, I feel like I could hear your air quotes again. Uh, that's another phrase, good farming practices, that sounds important. Does this mean that we need to define good farming practices for our listeners? I love a definition. You know, we attorney types, we really like live and die by definitions. (laughs) Um, But the funny thing is that actually this phrase isn't capitalized in most of our policy documents here. So that's, that's a, that's a horn sound that goes, no, no definition. It's such a disappointment, I have to say. Um, And there isn't a book out there. There isn't a dictionary of recognized good farming practices either. The good news, though, is that what we have to do is just look around. This is based on what other farmers generally do and what's considered common practice in the industry. So, you know, if we have some some strawberry growers, um, you know, uh, do other strawberry growers grow without high tunnels? 
Yes. Do they grow without wind machines? Yes. Do they grow at a scale where they can't cover them? Yes. So, you know, then that is also a recognized good farming practice to just grow strawberries. And yes, there is a risk that, um, that they're going to be lost by frost. And it doesn't necessarily mean you didn't take control mechanisms. So, you know, would a fellow organic, um, and, and this, this also relates to like the, the, the particular sector that you're working in. So organic strawberry growers might do things slightly different than conventional growers. And so, you know, we're allowed to narrow that into to our particular um, industry. Yeah, that narrow, narrowing down is an important piece, Rachel. And I'm here also hearing an action step here, where if you have crop insurance or livestock insurance, keep a beat on what your peers are doing to best manage their production. You know, asking what practices are you seeing that are common in your sector of farming? What are you seeing being done on similar operations? And then balance that against what you're doing, providing you with that validation. Uh, ah, yes, you know, I am implementing similar farming practices as my peers. Um, and Maybe you are noticing the opposite. Maybe you're doing some different practices, and that by, might be motivation in and in of itself to make some changes. Um, another option is that you might see your peers doing something that you haven't thought of implementing or haven't gotten around to doing that yet, and you can put it on your to-do list. So for another example, um, buffalo... For the livestock farmers listening in here, uh, you may know can pass on deadly diseases to cattle if allowed to graze together in the same pasture. And a best practice would be to keep those breeds separate to avoid any crossing of pathogens that could take out the herd. And you can talk to your peers about how they manage this risk and how they're separating their breeds to control this pathogen. Really, this is, this is a great bonding opportunity for you and other folks who are farming in your sector. I like that example, Eva. And I, I like it because it, it points out... Um, where where a lot of the risk lies here is when we're doing something that's really uh, new and interesting that also does create some risk. Um, you know, it's really important that we explore good ecological practices and the successes of of uh, you know working with buffalo and cattle together um, at times. Um, you know, to create good good pasture management and things like that. But it can create the chance of of contamination. So, you know, y'all who are listening are an, an impressive group of innovative farmers and ranchers that are thinking about doing um, these new things and looking at ways that those, uh, those new and innovative practices might create a little bit of risk, too, that could, um, you know, with pathogens and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to explore that a bit more, you know, for the listeners who are, do, who are doing practices, maybe they're on the flip side of this equation, where you know, they're not looking to see what their peers are doing. They're actually, you know, our listeners are doing something that's innovative and their peers aren't doing that practice yet. And to make this example a bit more concrete, let's take a practice like cover cropping that is more widely practiced across the farming industry now than it was, you know, about a decade ago. Um, but it was new then. So let's just like go in the time machine and just imagine we are the innovative new cover croppers in the neighborhood farm block. Um, when cover cropping is coming onto the scene, thanks to us, uh, how how would that 
impact something like, you know, the unavoidability of loss from drought. We're doing this new practice of cover cropping. We get hit with a drought. Um, and this is a new practice that our peers aren't doing. You know, would, would we be penalized as a farmer doing a new practice because, say, the cover crops, which have taken up the available moisture during the drought, reduce the availability for the target crop? Like, are we creating risk by innovating? Excellent question. So let's say that that then, you know, we don't have enough rain and we have a crop loss. Well, is that covered? Failure of irrigation water supply is a covered risk when it happens to unavoidable natural causes, like when drought causes our reservoirs or our, our ditches and our basins not to fill up. Yes. But no irrigation water is not covered if the failure is from a breakdown of equipment or facilities or the farmer already knew there was a reduction of irrigation water supply coming, but still planted the same things um, in the same acreage as if they had regular irrigation. So there's some, um, some interplay and some complication here. Yeah, I can definitely see that kind of like a complicated sandwich going on. <laughs> Uh, so let's bring that around to the case of innovative techniques and farmers who try these things, because we did hear of a case where a farmer was using turnips as a cover crop and then planting his cash crop afterwards, but he failed to kill the turnips effectively and then a drought hit. So the cash crop suffered pretty badly from the conditions, and so the farmer filed a claim, but it was denied, unfortunately. The, claimers, the claims adjuster said no. You failed to kill the cover crop and the cover crop stole the available water away from the cash crop and that is the responsible factor. Oh, you know, as illustrative as these um, farmer stories that we have are, they always just break my heart. <laughs> and this poor farmer is in such a, a challenging situation, especially since it seemed like they were trying to do their best to find new methods of, of cover cropping that ultimately preserve soil quality and just generally working towards better techniques. Um, so this really brings up uh, brings us to a point that I think is worth highlighting, and that is that farmers can work with advisors to guide them in implementing new practices, such as cover cropping, to increase the chances that it will be done successfully and to build data around that success. It's a great suggestion, Kate. Things like coordinating with an extension agent or a crop advisor to build up a scientific basis for trialing a new practice, like these sorts of cover cropping things, or even something even more innovative, like using, you know, uh, microorganisms to fertilize. That's an excellent strategy for achieving um, positive outcomes, you know, good production, and also building up some scientific data for insurance companies that you did your best to implement effective um, controls. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. So I'd love to now transition to what folks can expect if the loss was avoidable. This is where this is where things definitely heat up. The policy language is usually clear that losses due to negligence, mismanagement, wrongdoing by the farmer, as well as the farmer's family, employees, and contractors, well, those things aren't covered. For example, let's say that a disease runs rampant through a crop or a livestock operation because the farmer intentionally brought in an infectious agent, knew it was infectious, and let the disease take hold. You know, then, of course, even if the farmer later tries to control it, their, their, their mismanagement and negligence was truly the cause, and it was not unavoidable. So, you know, listening to that, it can be easy for farmers to say, well, geez, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. 
But remember, we're also responsible for the negligence and wrongdoing of employees, contractors, family. So mismanagement can include not having clear policies or not properly training and instructing others. So to avoid the pitfalls of mismanagement leading to a lack of coverage due to negligence, I see two best practices producers can use. So first is have good employee training and document that training in some way. But let's also make sure that we're not scaring folks unnecessarily. If you properly train an employee and they make a mistake that anyone could have made, that's not negligence, mismanagement, or wrongdoing. Like, let's say that an employee is doing a disinfection process to ensure disease doesn't spread, but they make a simple mistake and that renders the disinfection process ineffective, and it happens to be the one animal or tray that was infected, and then rampant disease. Dun, dun, dun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes. That would be such a nightmare. I'm really like living into this scenario and being sad for the bacteria having a mind of its own. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right, Kate. You're bringing up a really good point. We aren't negligent just because someone made a mistake. Mistakes happen all the time. Um, and so it really needs to go beyond that. Now now that we've covered uh, what's typically covered, you know, those unavoidable natural causes and are building our understanding of what all that really means, um, let's quickly go over additional exclusions for what would not be covered. Exactly. Right. I mean, let's continue our parade of horrors into the other things that could happen that aren't covered. All right. So um, farmers can generally expect that loss that's the, the result of a person's actions would not be a naturally occurring event and thus no coverage. So let's take fire as an example. A wildfire started by lightning that blows through a farm is, you know, Pretty classic, unavoidable natural cause. No one can control lightning or drought conditions that lead to the fire. But let's say the fire was the result of arson, or the result of an employee throwing out a cigarette butt, or the result of a tractor moving through tall, dry grass and it ignites on a hot exhaust system. Well, those things, that, that could be the result of the operator because they are driving through the grass. Or maybe it's the fault of the manufacturer of the tractor because they didn't install any shields around the exhaust system. Either way, it's probably not a naturally occurring event. Can be a little challenging to say though. On the other hand, let's say you're a farmer 100 miles from the farmer whose tractor just caught fire and started a wildfire and now your crops are also singed. Now that might be a naturally occurring event because it's the wind and the drought conditions that allow the fire to reach your property from 100 miles away. Mm. Wow. Okay. I, I'm, I think that informed risk-taking might be the moral of the story. Farmers can reduce their risk exposure through trialing new practices on limited acreage. And they could also build a case for their practices in advance of needing to make a claim. They can also increase documentation of growing practices and work with researchers to develop and document outcomes. Yeah, thanks for that rundown of best practices and options our listeners can take, Kate. And if you're still with us at this point, you really have a strong stomach because we've, we've, like Rachel said, been going through this parade of horrors and... 
this is what we have to do in risk management. We have to imagine the worst so that we can stand prepared. Um, and hopefully the, the best comes to pass, but we're, what we're doing here is trying to be our best even when the worst happens. And so let's imagine now that a crop loss happens. Now, what does the producer do in that situation um, in terms of making a claim? What can they expect from that process? Sure. What I can provide here is three clear steps to keep in mind if this happens. Number one, document. Number two, report. And number three, wait. So let's start with document. Of course, document the loss and the cause of the loss. You're going to submit that with your claim. So, you know, that's two things there. First, you know, what was damaged? How extensive is the damage? How many acres? How many animals? Etc. And then the second thing, what caused it? Is it frost, disease, drought? So there you go. The next step is reporting, you know, and pay special attention to the time frame to report the loss. Whole Farm Revenue Protection allows you 72 hours from when you discover that the loss has occurred. And if you don't follow that, you do risk missing out on compensation. And our, our last step is wait. Don't destroy the crop. Even after you document it, don't go till it under, turn off the irrigation, etc. You need the insurer's consent before you, what's called abandon, dispose of, or destroy the commodity. And impulse can lead you there, you know? I mean, you're probably frustrated and, you know, maybe you want to uh, clear that ground and get something else in. But wait, the insurer needs the opportunity to make their inspection. Usually the insurer has 15 days to come out and inspect the insured commodity. And if they don't come in that 15 days, then you are free to do what you want um, with, uh, with the damage. Rachel, that's a super helpful breakdown of what our listeners should be thinking about regarding documenting the loss and the cause of the loss, which are, key point, two different things. And also paying attention to the specific time frame in which the loss needs to be reported. Mm. Great rundown, everybody. And as we wrap up, I do want to mention that we've been talking about crop and livestock policies primarily, but all of these best practices apply to liability insurance too. So just as a wrap up, those best practices are that unavoidable natural causes are covered. Keep that in mind. Negligence, failure to control the issue, not covered. If you suffer a loss, document it right away and make the claim right away. Thanks for that summary list, Kate. To all our farmers and ranchers listening out there, we hope you can take these tips forward to prepare yourself against loss from whatever life brings your way. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing. And uh, this is Rachel saying this material is funded in partnership by USDA Risk Management Agency under award number RMA 22 CPT 